This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey, Andrew, did you know that there are other book podcasts out there? Mm, sounds fake, but continue. Hmm. I would love to tell you about one that is definitely real and not okay. fake. All right, if you say it's so. It's called Book Dreams. Now, dreams sound fake, but they are real. Book Dreams. <laughs> It is a show for everyone who loves books and misses English class. Over the past 50 episodes, co-hosts Julie Sternberg uh, and Eve Yohalem have explored everything from what Harper Lee did all day after she wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. I don't know what that could be. I'll have to listen. Uh, uh, to how science fiction can radically improve our world, whether they're talking to Brian Washington about how he became one of President Obama's favorite authors. Or to Matt Haig about writing a whimsical and uplifting book about depression, Book Dreams explores topics you can't stop thinking about. Uh, they feature guests like Adrian Marie Brown, Edith Eager, Kristen Meinsner, and Jolenta Greenberg, plus experts in topics ranging from illuminated manuscripts to book design to using AI to write a bestseller. Book Dreams is brought to you by the Podglomerate. New episodes run every Thursday, and you can listen by subscribing to Book Dreams on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this show. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Craig, have you ever thought about what your pen name would be? Huh. I haven't, but <laughs> I wanted to us both do it together. Okay. That's like, ooh, would we're going like, to workshop you, it. So let's pick like a genre of pen name. Would you pick one that was just a, a regular name that was just different from your name? Or would you try to pick one? Like a Chuck Tingle or something that was sort it sort of went with the work that you were producing under that name. Oh, you know? sure, sure, mm -hmm. sure. That's good. This is relevant because we're going to be talking about the Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain today. Um, yeah, it's tough. I honestly hadn't thought about Tingle being relevant to Chuck's work. Now I get it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh. Sure. Yeah. I don't think I want something that is overtly fake, mm -hmm. but I do like the idea of there being wordplay involved. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be some kind of formula like that one where, like, your stripper name is, like, the last food you ate in the street you grew up on or something, you know? So, uh, Rice Church would be my name. <laughs> Actually, that's that's a good last name for a pen name. Church is pretty if you, good. If you were Brian Rice Church, Yo. that would be pretty good. Yo. <laughs> All right, everybody yeah, we did it. who wants that's to one. assign me to a five book deal under the name <laughs> Brian Rice Church. <laughs> Andrew, do you just want to like take the episode and think on it and then you get back to me at the end? Or do you have yeah, one ready yeah, to go? I'm definitely going to think about it the whole time and not forget until like 30 seconds before oh, i have to do it problem is is like if i ask you to work really hard on it then you'll just do that instead of talking to me all of a sudden mm -hmm. mm -hmm. i don't want i'll try that. and alternate like if i'm quiet for like a 10 minute stretch that's the one where i was trying to think of a good pen name <laughs> okay well, let's talk about tom sawyer 
Um, this book was a Patreon recommendation from Lexi. Thank you, Lexi. Uh, just cited it as one of uh, her favorite books. No specific guidance there. Andrew, you have talked about Mark Twain on the podcast before. I did. Back in 2014, episode 59, when we covered the celebrated jumping frog of Calaveras County. We were but babes. We're but babes. That was uh, one of his earliest, like, renowned works. It was one of the works that brought him fame. But uh, for enduring fame, uh, Tom Sawyer and then its companion novel, Uh, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn are like, those are the big ones. Those are the ones you lead with if you're going down a list of things that he did. You're you're not uh, you're saying that Tom Sawyer abroad is not the the Jules Verne adventure where Tom Sawyer rides in a futuristic hot air balloon is not the book that made him famous. Did he do that one? Yes. Or Tom (laughs) Sawyer detective. Tom Sawyer comma detective. I didn't know that Tom Sawyer had a whole. Like genre bending, yeah, sequel series that that the uh, the the TCU, the Twain Cinematic Universe. Maybe he didn't. I mean, maybe he did that that with Tom Sawyer instead of Huck Finn because Tom Sawyer, according to literary critics, is the sort of lighter and oh yeah, the the lighter of the two books and the lighter of the two boys, and so maybe he's better suited to. You know, going to the center of the earth or right around the earth in 30, 40, 80 days, however yes. many days it was. Yes, I think. Or that's like getting true. sucked into his TV screen and and like playing with all his favorite Nintendo characters. Falling down a hole and meeting the Slee Stacks. Yeah, mm-hmm, that's true. Mm-hmm. Those are all the things that Tom Sawyer did. Yes, uh, right. What should we know about Mark Twain slash what do you remember from episode 59? Uh, so Mark Twain, as we alluded to in our little opening opening bit there, was a pen name for Samuel Langhorn Clements, who was born in 1835, died in 1910. And uh, he is hugely influential in early American literature and satire. Uh, when people talk about him being like one of the giants of American literature, they're usually talking about um, his use of vernacular and colloquialisms in his works. And then the subject matter is often about things like riverboating and racism that were <laughs> sort of unique to life in the U.S. at that time. We One of those things is less relevant to life in the u.s now i'm gonna leave it to you at home to guess whether it's riverboating or racism (laughs) yeah um got his name from riverboating didn't he mark twain i mean that's that's apocryphal it's apocryphal is it there there are several different uh versions of it that are out there floating around but (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. but aside from uh tom sawyer and huck finn he's got a huge number a huge body of novels short stories essays and other work to his name and because he wrote so often under so many pen names uh other pen names include thomas jefferson snodgrass and josh (laughs) yep a new work from him is still being discovered with some frequency like more than you would expect for a guy who'd was extremely prolific, was famous in his day, and died 110 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, most recently, scholars at Berkeley discovered a cache of works that were written by him as a 29-year-old when he was working at what is now the San Francisco Chronicle. So, huh. Fun, fun Interesting. stuff. Yeah, because he was what? He was a typesetter. He was a printer. He uh, was a steamboatman. 
himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a long storied interest. We spent a lot of time in episode 59 talking about his interest in like 19th century science and pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, you said, Andrew, in the middle part of his life, he had a tendency to back unsuccessful projects. Uh, and I made a note that Mark Twain also spent two weeks in the Confederate Army. <laughs> <laughs> I made that note for this episode. I did not <laughs> make that joke seven years ago. I'm proud no, of it that's now. A good, that's a good joke. That's uh, a good joke. Yeah. He, yeah said, he said that they I, lost because he deserted, which is a funny that's joke. Not, that's also a funny joke. That is not the first bad opinion yeah. or the bad thing that he did that later he recanted on. Other, like, he was really into imperialism until he went to europe i guess before before deciding that imperialism was bad yeah um and he but generally he was pretty good on like civil rights issues pretty progressive for for a person of his time a noted abolitionist uh supported uh women's suffrage and labor unions just yeah. you know Generally pretty good. Not well, universally great. No. And not, not, not throughout the whole of his life. And we'll but talk, he did seem to improve on, on many issues. Yeah, we'll talk about it specific to this book. Uh, his views on Native Americans were not great. And they may have improved later in his life. But like in this book, it is evident that it is not great. Uh, so yeah, there's some, uh, what I found a couple that I think Wikipedia cited, um, the literary offenses of Fenimore Cooper and, uh, following the equator as two works that he did that were more sympathetic to natives, not just in the, in the U S but also elsewhere, like tying into the anti-imperialism thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the mistreatment that they suffered at the hands of white people, but the character in this book who maybe we should have talked about before we started recording about how we were going to refer to him is, is seem, he seems like he's depicted pretty poorly. Yeah. So I'll just say the book refers to him exclusively as Injun Joe. I will call him Joe for the rest of the episode. Joe's good. Um, he is a bad person in the book and he is a bad character on top of it. I will say <laughs> like he is supposed to be bad and Twain did him bad in my opinion. Sure. Um, or at least it, I don't know, it, here, reading it now, and probably also reading it then, you could go, hmm, this is bad. Yeah, uh, I'm, I've found one, like, sort of benefit of the doubt slash devil's advocate t- kind of yow. take that, I don't, I don't know if I fully buy into it that we can talk about later, I guess, or now, I guess, depending on what no, you No, we should talk think. about it later, we should talk about it later. Okay, cool, cool. Um, uh, but yeah, so that I mean, that is that is another thing that is particular to Twain's work, and then these two books in particular is they are often uh, challenged in schools for their depiction of of race and racism in the U.S. I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to weigh in on whether that's like wrong or not. Yeah, let, let's let me speak to this book specifically. Um, it has been on a number of lists uh, for things like its inclusion of a lot of racial slurs that suck and are terrible to read. Um, the N-word is the big one. Yeah, it's a big one. Um, just, you know, racism in general and depictions of, of uh, really painful racism. And, and the fact that this book and Huck as well, because it centers on children and Twain is, is not 
portraying at least in in Tom Sawyer more explicitly. I'll get more into this later, I guess, but uh it is not given the framing of say like, I don't know, I think about a show like Deadwood where there's it's very about that time and there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who are very terrible to non-white people uh and you're supposed to as the viewer understand that it is terrible. Um in Tom Sawyer you do not really get that you're supposed to understand the ways in which this is bad. Yeah, um, the like the the closest to that that I found I think is that the depiction of how um Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn like interact with these characters is like maybe a depiction of the like the effect of like racial attitudes in society in children who have not fully internalized that like prejudice sure. yet if that makes sense yeah I don't, sure again don't know that I buy that but it's it's a thing that I read while I was researching yeah. so um, other reasons why this book has been banned that are not about those that big topic is like. Uh, questionable moral character, which I think is actually what Twain is up to. <laughs> that one, yeah, that one's fine. <laughs> that like, one's fine there's me. like a whole section where they where they smoke a pipe and learn to smoke a pipe. And Tom says something that could have just been in a Joe Camel ad. He says, "Why many a time I've looked at people smoking and thought, well, I wish I could do that, but I never thought I could." And then they just like pal around and smoke a pipe for a page. Yeah, it's like. Is Joe Camel there too? Um, and he's like a social subversive because he doesn't follow the rules and he doesn't respect right. authority. And that's all like the project of the book, I think. Yeah, that's so that you asked me to to research reasons why these books were still like Yeah, please. Uh taught or like read or talked about. <laughs> I think for for Tom Sawyer in particular, one reason is just it it, it depicts a certain kind of uh, mischievous like rapscallion mm-hmm. kind of boyhood slash childhood yeah and i mean you can draw a line straight from like tom sawyer to dennis the menace to bart simpson like is it's a it's a character archetype that is still alive and well i would i would also in today's art broaden it i did uh i made a list here of tom sawyer is a rapscallion he's a lovable scamp he's a ferris bueller he is a zach morris like mm-hmm. He has, he can move through the world and cause and create things uh, in ways that, yeah, these kind of good but not good behaving character. Like, yeah, like under- it's it's not that he doesn't have a heart of gold under there. Yep, correct. It's just that he's a little boy and he does little boy things. Yes, sure, 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 sure. Um, which again, it it that's that's what makes some of the um racism and racial stuff really pop as a like i don't know if i want to read this <laughs> just because you're like oh this is this like good boy that i want to hang out with and want to learn more about and it it's you know there's some incongruity and friction there um, yeah but for like purposes of of talking about like teaching it i don't I, you probably don't want to take this particular tack with young kids in particular but once you get up to like the high school and college level like i i think this is a really these two books are really interesting entry points into like the wider um literary conversation about what you do with with works that have value and historical importance but also are out of step with current mores yeah in a lot of ways like i think these are easy 
textbook examples of that sort of thing and open up a, you know, an avenue of conversation that was pretty easy to, to explain and to, to think about, I think. Well, we, you know, we talked a little bit about it last week. Was it last week with Pippi Longstocking? Yeah, last week. Oh my god. Yeah, it was last week. Yeah, we got a we got a message from a listener, Alex, who talked about like the. I think I alluded to it, but I kind of brushed past it um, in the episode. What Lingren refers to Pippi's dad as as like the king of like the South N-word. Sea Islands, yeah, but or whatever, like in some yeah. in some texts, he just uses the N word or a variation of the N word, <gasps> and it's like. <laughs> um, and they they edited it out of tv versions and again that's also a story about a like a kid who operates outside of the bounds of adult expectations and so or a greek god who's <laughs> testing us all yes or a terminator or something yes. um or a pippi longstocking is a is a q a member of the q that's, oh that's oh we didn't really dive into that part but mm-hmm. um but yeah i think you're right andrew like this book is best encountered as a as a like go into it with your historiographer's hat on like yeah what was everybody's got one of those hats just like pick it up and put it on see if it still fits dust (laughs) it off a little bit um all right let you what should we get into the book and then maybe we can talk about and if we want to talk about some of this stuff more we'll do it in context yes can you tell me you've read this right yes i feel like i've read an abridged version of it at some point oh okay yeah. I read the... Same as like with Treasure Island and uh, Around the World in 80 Days, I think. Like there are a bunch of these that I had abridged versions of. I don't I don't remember. I'll have to look up the name of the series, but it was like abridged American classics or something. It was, oh, okay. it was this whole thing. Yeah. I read the 20, a 2018 printing by Seawolf Press uh, is the 100th anniversary edition that they put together. It does have... A bunch of the illustrate the illustrations from the original 1876 printing. Um, I did note that apparently there was a text version that got out in 1875, and then it got pirated in Canada and Germany, among other places. Like do. <laughs> um, it does have some interesting spellings and punctuations. Uh, I was not f- prepared for like Mark Twain to put a lot of things in quotation marks. Anytime somebody is showing off in this book, it's in quotation marks. Huh. They okay. show I mean, off. They, they, maybe they didn't have italics. Well, on maybe printing presses yeah. of the day. Sure. Um, and also, at one point, he spells the word "weird" differently than I would. He just swaps where the e and the i go in the word "weird," and it kind of short circuited my brain. I tried to tell Laura about it. I was like, "He's spelling the word weird, weird," and I just kind of broke for a second, like Do a we robot. Know if he did that, or if the per- the people I don't know. who did this edition did that. Sometimes when I'm reading ebooks i also just find up like straight up type ocr errors mm. where where the <laughs> software that scanned the book has interpreted one mass of shapes as another mass of shape oh that's possible i don't yes. know it was strange um but this or was it we wait oh my weird. god i couldn't handle it <laughs> how do you pronounce it even weird weird <laughs> Um, okay, let's get into the story here. Tom Sawyer is a boy. He lives in the you know mid nineteenth century. It's all pre Civil War America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lives in, in the in Missouri. Yeah, in the fictional town of Saint Petersburg, Missouri, based on Twain's experiences as a young boy. He has said that Twain, uh, or Twain has said that 
Sawyer is based on parts of himself, parts of uh, some other boys that he knew. Um, Huck Finn, who features in this book, is based on a friend of his named Tom Blankenship, apparently. Um, but anyway, Tom, he's like, you know, we've described the type of character that he is. He has a pretty active imagination. He is an orphan who lives with his Aunt Polly and his half-brother Sid, later his, like, really nice, like, squeaky clean cousin Mary shows up. Um, he likes to engage in Robin Hood LARPs with his friends. He's got, like, he's well-read <laughs> and has, a, and, like, knows how to, like, cosplay, basically. Okay. Um, he's also, I mean, the the story everybody knows from Tom Sawyer is the most capitalist story of all, which it is, is where... Tom yep. gets a contract a contract to paint a fence white and then outsources the work to people who he underpays. Well, it's, it's, he, Aunt Polly told him to do it. Polly is making him do this, I believe. Um, is my, I don't, in what I was reading, he was not like hired necessarily. Yeah, no, I, I just, I just mean like he okay. has delegated this work and he's going to sit back and reap all the benefits while other people under him, under his heel. Oh, do yeah. the actual work. Oh yeah, we. This and he scene... is and he is paid forty two million dollars a year, <laughs> and he could get caught up in like a some kind of sex scandal and get fired, but still get like eight million dollars by being on the board fired. of directors or something. Yeah, like. and then getting like a CEO job somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <sighs> Tom. Like opening, we get like Tom likes to skip school. He gets caught in a, a little you know, attempt to uh, deceive Aunt Polly about him skipping school. And so she kind of punishes him by making him work on a Saturday, doing extra labor, painting this fence. Um, and I, I want to spend a lot of time with this story here for a sec because it is like, like the windmills of Don Quixote, it is like the thing. Mm-hmm. And it happens at the beginning of the book, which right. maybe it's mostly, maybe it's not just that it's a famous story and it like r- resonated with a lot of people. Maybe a lot of people just read the first 30 pages of the book. Yeah. And maybe that's why the windmill thing happens with Don Quixote <laughs> too. Like a, a lot of people got to the 10% point in both these books. Yeah. Um, and Tom's painting this fence. Life is hell. He's like really bemoaning his existence. And Ben Rogers comes down. Ben, you know, like you do. Ben's literally pretending to be a boat. Like he's coming down the road, making boat noises, also voicing the captain and other people on the boat himself. And he's like, boy, Tom sucks. You have to work, huh? And Tom's like, who said I'm not having fun? And he starts painting. He's like, you could, you could be having fun painting this fence. And Tom's like, yeah, man, it's a blast. What do you want? And so Ben says, well, let me whitewash a little. And so he convinces a parade of boys to do the work for him um, where they do pay him in apples and, you know, pieces of things and bugs and stuff. Uh, And he learns a law of human action, as Twain says, in order to make a man or a boy covet a thing, it is only necessary to make the thing difficult to attain. So his like hook is every time a boy's like, hey, Tom, what you doing? He's like, well, I can't let you paint this fence. It's too fun. It's um, too cool. You're not ready too for cool. it. Yeah. Um, and Aunt Polly, who we learned to be a perennial forgiver of Tom, who doubted his ability to do this work, 
is like, that was great. Have an apple and enjoy your day, Tom. Like, go have a ball. <laughs> I mean, it's smart, and there's no denying that it's an ingenious ploy. Yes, yes. I just really... don't know that this is behavior that you want to <laughs> reinforce in somebody. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I feel... I mean, yeah, I guess we have to censor and cancel Tom Sawyer for his questionable moral character. Yeah, cancel Tom. Yeah. Um, and so the book takes on after this initial opening gambit, kind of the, you know, the book is called The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. So I don't remember, I don't know how much you remember from your abridged version, Andrew, but it does have this kind of like, I don't know, Saturday morning cartoon sitcom vibe where like we get to meet a bunch of characters over the course of several things that happen that just kind of illuminate small town life. Um, and a couple of, you know, like he goes to school, he goes to church, he uh, has to do chores, he plays with his friends. Um, the one that does stand out, he does witness a murder, and we'll talk about that, which is not That's one of his cla- normal Classic things. boyhood, you know seeing a murder or finding a body in a quarry or something like I mean, this stuff just happens um the the couple of new things happen and that's how we get introduced to different characters he meets becky thatcher who uh is described prime minister of <laughs> the uk I yes think. uh-huh um was described as the new girl in the garden uh and he is instantly taken with her she's beautiful he can't imagine any anybody else he wants to spend time with and he immediately starts to quote unquote show off which i believe just consists of him like doing cartwheels and trying to balance stuff on his face like in front of her this is this is familiar to me (laughs) this is pretty good you know early boyhood activity and they kind of have a like i don't know they have sitcom will they or won't they energy for a good portion of the book where a lot of plots involve them like are they together are they mad at each other are they kind of pranking each other are they standing up for each other uh until it does culminate with them together lost in a cave like every relationship does i mean lost in the metaphorical (laughs) cave of emotions (laughs) Or of, like, tax law. You know, you get stuck in a lot of caves as a couple. He, he like, he finds ways to be near her at school. He kind of bullies his way into getting her to say she loves him. This very, like, little kid saying I love you because that's, like, your only way to express feelings. Like, you just know that people say that to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, he does kind of bully her into it, which kind of sucks a little bit. It's some some uh, 500 Days of Summer energy that <laughs> I wasn't really happy with. Um, and uh, midway through, they have a, like, at their lowest point, one of their lowest points together, like, she's mad at him because she found out he had a girlfriend before her, <laughs> and he kind of swore that he'd never loved anyone as much as he loved her. And... She witnesses a boy prank Tom by pouring ink all over his spelling book. And he's going to get in trouble later for ruining his spelling book. And she doesn't mm-hmm. tell Tom about it. And mm-hmm. then he catches her sneaking into school to read the teacher's uh, anatomy book. And she accidentally rips a Whoa. page. Whoa. Yeah. 
She Whoa. sees a, she sees a drawing of a naked human man. <laughs> Whoa, nice. That uh, apparently the teacher just like spends some of his time in class just like reading this book while the kids are working or something. It's mm-hmm. odd. Um, but when I mean, she's school a- in those days was basically made up, right? Like. <laughs> Yeah, they this you teacher just gathered stinks. a bunch of kids in one room with a dirt floor and sat them behind a long table and just read them numbers out loud over and over again. I think was school. that's definitely what it was. A um, mm-hmm. lot of corporal punishment in this book, in this school specifically. A lot of kids getting flogged and licked and other sin- not lit. That's a listen. When everyone thinks Tom is dead later in the book, we'll get to that. Uh, one kid, the only memory he can share is that Tom licked me once. And I know that he meant he got <laughs> beat up by Tom Sawyer. This is a pretty good start to be funny, though. So um, when kids aren't getting licked or thrown in the chokey or whatever, like what's how often is Tom at school? What's his relationship to school like? It's not, you know, he doesn't love it. He's not uh-huh. a good student. He does like he clearly likes to read stories and he can read. Um, but he really just doesn't like authority and he doesn't like, you know, he could be going out on adventures all the time. Um so like the Becky Thatcher plot, the will there won't they thing is happening a lot. Um he does stand up for her with that with that book. He takes mm-hmm. the fall for the ripping of the of the page. Um, and that kind of seals their relationship. But yeah. um, there's like a Sunday school episode where the pre the the superintendent of Sunday school has devised some like microtransaction economy that if you get tickets by learning Bible verses, you can turn them in for better tickets, which you can then turn in for better tickets, which you can turn in for a Bible. <laughs> And Tom has like red paper clipped his way to having enough tickets to get a Bible that he can sell without having to like learn all the Bible verses. Mm-hmm. And of course, he turns it in on the day that this like respected judge is in town going like, whoa, look at all the good Sunday school kids. And all the teachers are like, they are quote unquote showing off. Get it? Mm-hmm. And of course, the judge is like, oh, this kid's got a Bible. Why don't you tell me your favorite disciples? And Tom doesn't know any of them. And he just says, David and Goliath. And Mark Twain. I mean, those are good ones. Mark Twain just writes, let us draw the curtain of charity over the rest of the scene. And he moves <laughs> on. This is pretty. And there's another whole scene where he's in church. And instead of paying attention to the sermon, he is watching a dog chase a bug. And it's like funny. Mm-hmm. Um he he also tries to get out of going to school Ferris Bueller style. He tries to play sick. Um, I did not know, and maybe it originated before this story, Andrew. I thought this was from like Full House, I guess. Um, he fate he like feigns being sick, and Aunt Polly's like, "What?" And he's like, "Well, I thought I was sore. It was distracting me from my loose tooth." She's like, "Ah, oh, loose tooth, come here." And she does the like tie string to his tooth thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had never seen this version. She ties his tooth to a bedpost and then holds a chunk of fire, direct quote, from the fireplace in front of his face. And then he yanks his head away from the fire and pulls the tooth out. I had never heard that one. I mean, my, the one I knew is you tie the other end around the doorknob. Yes, and you, you shut slam the door. The door. Fast. Yeah. No, she held like burning wood in front of his face. 
I mean, you gotta respect an innovator, you know? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I, I did dig that part. Um, we meet Huck Finn, who doesn't go to school. He is the kind of outcast boy of the town. Um, so, like, Tom's an orphan. Huck's dad is out there, and he's uh, an alcoholic, and he's mean to him, and he disappears for long periods of time. Um, I don't recall the specifics that we might learn in in the Huck Finn book, which I have read, but not in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but Huck, we meet, and he's like, he's not the opposite of Tom, because they do share a lot of like, they they like to go off and pal around and go on adventures, and they the whole back half of the book is them wanting to dig up treasure together. Um, but they do come from different spheres, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Different um, sides of the tracks. Different sides of the tracks. Yes, yes. we meet because trains. Yes, were invented to divide. Well, no, they had been inv- invented at the point that this book was written, so oh. that metaphor could have existed at that point. Yes, that's true. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. Um, we meet Huck just carrying around a dead cat. He's just got a dead cat on a string that he's carrying around because um, maybe it's going to cure <sighs> his warts that he has. I mean, yeah, medicine <laughs> for a long time was just guessing. So, yeah. And we're slowly getting back to that point as a society now as we try to claw our way out of a pandemic. So, Oops. yeah, just dead cat, go for it. Yeah. Um, and Huck Finn's introduction to the book is what gets us to the. I, it's not the A plot of the book, it's the most plot of the book that there is, which is the witnessing a murder part. What do you remember of the of the murder and the oh, setup? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely nothing. nothing. Okay, absolutely nothing. I remember okay. the fence painting. I remember the funeral, mm-hmm. and anything else in between. I guess I have vague. I know they're on a like a raft going down a river. Yeah, and aside from that, nothing. That's yeah, it. the the funeral thing happens a little bit later, um, and it's, it's kind of the end, isn't it? No, it's like midway through. The Oh really? The, yeah, the the murder thing is like Tom and Becky are on the outs for a period of time and he's like Cuz they're children. Yes, cuz they're children. And they're not in a serious relationship <laughs> because they're children. Sure. Yes. Um and he decides to like go off with his friend Joe Harper and Huck Finn. They're going to go be pirates. They're going to run away from society because he can't have a girlfriend that he wants. And they go to live on Jackson Island and they realize that everybody thinks that they've drowned because they see a boat like dredging the river for bodies or something. And Huck sneaks back into town, listens to everybody. It's very much the like, oh, what would people say about me if I were dead kind of thing. He has some remorse and decides to show up at his own funeral. Mm-hmm. And everyone's pretty cool about it. <laughs> like, everyone's very excited to see him. He doesn't well, get in any they, trouble. Yeah, I mean, you'd be excited that he wasn't dead. And then probably, honestly, in your heart of hearts, you could search your feelings and know that if it had been you, you would have done the same thing. Yes, he does have... I was not knowing... I knew that that scene existed, um, again, we're taking a break from the introduction of the murder plot because that's like the back half of the book. Anyway, the the funeral thing that I didn't know, his relationship with Aunt Polly. So he did eavesdrop on his whole family thinking he was dead. 
Mm-hmm. And then when he comes back, they're like, that was kind of a mean prank. Mm-hmm. Um, making us mm-hmm. think you were dead. And he's right. like, no, but I dreamed about you. I dreamed about you while I was gone, which means I cared about you. That, oh, boy. And, That's no good. And they're like, what did you dream, Tom? And he just starts telling them all the stuff that he saw when he was sneaking around. Mm-hmm. And his aunt's like, oh, my God. You did dream about us. You did, really. That's not... Uh, he could dream about you and it, yeah. like he could dream about you having octopus tentacles instead of arms. It wasn't no, but he like no bearing on whether he cares about you or not. No, but he dreamed the exact words that they said when they missed him, Andrew. So clearly that means he did he did feel bad about what he did. Sid, his half brother, does spill the beans and Aunt Polly gets real mad at him for pretending to be a psychic. Yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna I would not have bought this either. Like, oh, the the boy who we are all upset at because he eavesdropped on his own funeral. Surely he couldn't have eavesdropped on anything else yes. when we didn't know that he Correct. was around. He, he confesses, and Aunt Polly um, is like, man, that does stink what you did, Tom. And he's like, no, but I was going to leave you a note that said I was going to go be a pirate. I wrote it on a piece of wood that's in my jacket, and I I felt so sad about how sad you were that I decided not to. And that scene, that whole little plot ends with her pulling going and reading the the note that he left that he did save for some reason and being like oh that tom i love him so much i don't see how this helps but okay i don't see how that makes anything better it doesn't she's like well i guess he meant it but aunt polly she seems very like boys will be boys yeah i guess she this might as well be the book that invented boys will be boys (laughs) (laughs) um she does uh, he does like spank and flog him a bunch, and does feel bad. I mean, that about was most it. of that was most of child rearing before. Yeah, like nineteen sixty seven was yeah. just knowing when to spank. It was bad. Yeah, and it's 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 uncomfortable to to consider in this book, especially because she does feel remorseful about it. But she recognizes if she were to express that, that it would undermine uh, her her authority. So she does not. Anywho, they get wrapped up in a murder plot um, because they have to go to a graveyard because Huck Finn needs to do something with that dead cat to like cast a spell to cure his warts or something. It's very elaborate. While they're in the graveyard, they hear some voices and three people roll up. Muff Potter. Uh, what? That's not somebody's name. <laughs> Muff Potter. Nope. Uh, Joe, who we've been talking about. And a guy named Dr. Robinson. And uh, Joe and Muff are helping Dr. Robinson do some good old-fashioned grave robin. Some 19th century doctoring, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they help him do it. Joe asks for more money. Doc says no. Joe cites some offense that uh, Doc's father caused him several years ago. They decide to fight. Doc knocks Muff out with the grave headboard, and then Joe kills him with a knife, and then puts the knife in Muff's hand so that when Muff wakes up, uh, Joe's like, yo, you killed that guy. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, you are going to go to jail. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, Huck and Tom have seen that, 
and they swear a blood oath to each other that they are never going to tell anyone or else Joe will kill them. Okay. So that becomes the like background plot of the book that after a lot of the summer adventures and the different things in school happen, um, at one point on summer vacation, Tom Sawyer is like, hey, Huck, could, you want to just go dig up some treasure? Every there comes a time, Mark Twain says, in every rightly constructed boy's life when he has a raging desire to go somewhere and dig for hidden treasure. It's I don't think of, that's wrong. It's a lot of words in that sentence that tickle me a little bit, but yeah, yes. yeah. But I do, I do think there's something to that, and and maybe sub out boy for just like child. I think that yes. many many children get it in their heads to look for secret things perhaps because they've consumed some kind of media in some way that has yeah for sure let them know that these sorts of things are possible and and we've seen tom throughout the book when he's a little despondent about like generally something that he caused but people are upset with him about um being like man i should just run away and be a pirate or something like i should just get out of here and live a life and adventure and part of that is things he's caused but part of it is like adults particularly the folks like the people running sunday school or his really oppressive school teacher who are just like not treating kids with any like care and respect and so in this universe like of course you want to go find some treasure that could like make you rich and make you not like care as much like you can just go do what you want you can just go be whatever and Huck and Tom do have this little argument. We're like, well, if we did find money, Tom's like, man, you could like do all sorts. You could make 12 boys rich. Like you could have a whole business. <laughs> and and Huck is like, listen, I'm going to buy a bunch of soda and like eat some good food. Mm-hmm. And Tom's like, what's that about? He's like, well, if my if I got a bunch of money, my dad would find up and find out and would just show up and take all my money. So I'm just going to spend it all as soon as I get it. Let's go dig up some diamonds. Like, let's get out of here. I they, do think we should talk about money more often in terms of how many boys you can make rich with it. <laughs> That's a not good... to paper, not to paper over the very nope. heavy mm-hmm. Huck Finn the thing that you just yes. dropped. Partly because I think when we do. Huck Finn next month, which is we're gonna, which we're gonna do. Yeah, we will have plenty of time to talk about. Yes, old Huck and his you dad. Were, you were not wrong in the earlier part of our conversation today when you said that I, Tom Sawyer is the lighter of the two characters and stories, it, and that I did come up with that. You're the only one who's ever said that. Own, you're right. So that's no, thank you right. for crediting. Me. Um, and and I do that s- idea could make seventeen <laughs> boys rich. I think. <laughs> I say that with the caveat that, like, there's heinous stuff in this book, and it's not just the, like, you know, language stuff that we've talked about. Like, Joe, uh, the the killing of Dr. Robinson is really rough. Um, later in the book, uh, Joe and an unnamed partner are going to break into a widow's house, and he's not going to kill her. He's going to, like, maim her. He's going to, like cut her nose and like otherwise mutilate her as recompense for something her late husband did to him. Okay. It's, cool. It's it is meant to be kind of this uh 
just evil scum of the earth kind of stuff, which of course is really uncomfortable when you when you recognize that Joe is a person of like mixed race heritage and is uh, has Native American background, and everyone treats him like garbage and uses really like heinous language to describe his background. And yet here he is as a cartoon villain who just wants to like stab a lady in the face because he broke a law and someone whipped him in public about it. Like he is such a, like he is such a caricature that I can't even like read his name or think about him without imagining his head just straight up being the logo of that Cleveland baseball team. Yeah, exactly. You know, like it's, mm -hmm. yeah. And there are, there are illustrations in this book that are sort of of a flavor with the, with that, Cleveland baseball logo um and it it's it's really yeah it just sucks I don't know what to say and it (laughs) it sucks that like when you first uh when you first encounter him in the graveyard like even Huck is like ugh that that mixed breed or that half breed or something and that's language that Mark Twain uses outside of character quotations also so it's just really onerous and, and bad um but the murder plot that again is supposed to be about this like evil character who is maligned by society uh it does take up the back half of the book um the party does split up after they are in they go not to this supposed to do that yeah you're never supposed to do that they're the two of them first they're together they're in a haunted house um there was a trial where they were supposed to convict Muff Potter for the murder of Doc Robinson. Tom Sawyer decided to publicly say that he believed it to be Joe. Joe, who was there as a witness, literally jumped out the courtroom window and ran away. He has never been seen again. Um, Muff Potter did get convicted on one count of being named Muff Potter. (laughs) Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged, Muff. Um, You will be fined enough money to make three boys rich. So, uh, snap forward back to the 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 hunting the the treasure hunting expedition. They're in a haunted house or a house they think to to be haunted. Two guys come in. It is revealed to be Joe and some unnamed partner of his. They are gonna bury some treasure. No, wait, they found some more treasure in the floorboards uh, while Huck and Tom are hiding upstairs, and. So Huck and Tom have to keep tabs on these two guys who are are hiding out in town. Joe is in disguise. And while Tom goes to a picnic at a cave with his girlfriend Becky Thatcher. Sounds awesome. Um, it's, <laughs> it's like sir, they literally like send all the kids away to a cave picnic. Like everybody just dropped their kids off at the laser tag, except you know, who know no one's been in the laser tag for years <laughs> and it's deeper than anybody understands. <laughs> Um, Same. And while uh, while they're <laughs> out there, um, Huck is on you know night watch duty, trying to find out what's going on. They've they've tracked Joe to a temperance tavern, um, where he's in a room. He's like I don't know what what that really. They don't serve booze, but those you, two words don't go together. <laughs> you could go unless in there. it's like a tavern where they only serve like pepsi or something yeah is pepsi okay they always say um mm-hmm. and there's and Susanna. 
is Pepsi okayed me? My mine own wife in mine own house is Pepsi okayed me? The oh other day. no! And I was like, no, Pepsi's not okay in my own house. Oh no! I don't pay for uh, this house to drink Pepsi in here. It's a, re- a real rough patch oh, in our relationship. Boy. When she asked me if Pepsi was okay. Oh my god! The fact that you gave her, you know, helped celebrate her on Mother's Day just proves so that soon after that I- too, like. <laughs> Proves how much of a mensch you are. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm great. Yeah, you know what's not great? Pepsi. <laughs> um, Huck has tracked. Huck's. Huck, oh, listen, Tom Sawyer got a detective novel. Huck Finn should get a detective novel. Huck Finn's doing the work. He tracks these guys in the middle of the Huck night. Finn PI would. I would. Hey, I would yes. Yeah. He tracks these guys. He finds them outside the widow's house. Um, thinking that they're going to bury their treasure again there or something. Um, no, that's where we hear about Joe's plan to break into this house and mutilate this woman. And Huck runs back to town, tells some people about it, and they're like, okay, uh, we'll go try and stop him. Um, they don't. Joe gets away. The other guy dies in the river trying to escape. That character, I, don't, I I tried to find his name. It doesn't exist. That guy is weird. I don't okay. know why. He's weird. Um, <laughs> and and Huck Ugh. doesn't want any credit for what he did because he doesn't want Joe to find out. And like at this point, Joe has reached full like sideshow Bob stat, like haunting Bart, like it's gonna cartoonish malevolence. Yes, yeah. and he's gonna like you know track them down and kill them later, kind of thing. Um, there's a, oh boy, there's a long passage where, um, Tom and Becky have gotten lost in the cave after everybody went home and they are there for literal days and they have to fight bats and they don't have any food except Tom does pull out a piece of cake from his pocket. He's like, I saved this from the picnic. This is our only food that we have left. pocket, Pocket cake. Yep. Pocket cake. Delicious. Um, he encounters in the cave, uh, Joe, who does not recognize Tom in the darkness. And that's how Tom realizes that maybe the gold is actually in the cave. They do escape after another full, multiple times in this book, the whole town is like, wow, Tom Sawyer's gone and dead. I guess we got to find his body somewhere. Maybe we can do it. Um, (laughs) And Tom, of course, strolls back into town with Becky. He did find a way out of the cave, and they're okay. Um, so we, the the wind down of this book is kind of strange. Tom's talking to the judge, who's like, "Oh man, I can't believe that you saved Becky. That's really great. Um, I did lock up that cave so no one can go in there again um, and get lost like you did, you idiot." And Tom's like, "Oh no, Joe's in that cave." Uh oh! And they go to the door that's been locked for two weeks, apparently. Uh, and Joe has died trying to hack his way out with a knife, and it's clear that he was eating bats and candles, and he had little cups on rocks, like catching water from stalactites. And it's this really pitiable, sad death that. It's kind of gruesome, it's, actually. It's very gruesome. Tom doesn't really dwell on it too much. He kind of just gives us the description of like what he understands the man's last, you know, days to be. The the 
cave was already a bit of a tourist attraction. It had some like paintings on the walls and things like that. So that's kind of why it was the laser tag thing for the kids. But mm. now the cups that Joe was using to get water like kind of become like a folk attraction and people are kind of I don't know if they he's been fully rehabilitated in the public image but his really pitiable death has like taken on a life of its own I don't yeah I don't think rehabilitation is the word to use like come look at the evidence of this man's dying days like the the it's horrible way that he died now it's passing into myth and legend come look at it like that's not that's not rehabilitation no. that's just like straight up like rubbernecking yes yes the line like, from ugh. the line from twain is uh they had they had had almost as satisfactory a time at the funeral as they could have had at the hanging that's cool. That's a cool thing to say. So I don't think tell me tell me what you think about this. You're the one who read the book. I am. So this is the I was looking at schmoop.com. Oh boy. And I think I have ever looked at schmoop.com Shmoop. when we were reading the uh, the Divine Comedy and we'd gotten to Paradiso and I just had <laughs> yeah. no idea what was going on with anything. Sure. Um but they have some notes about race in Tom Sawyer and particularly about Joe. And this is on, this is under the chew on this subhead. Whoa. And I, I, th- I, I think I agree with this analysis on it, on its merits is like literary analysis, but I don't agree with like the way they've chosen to attribute it. Okay. So uh, this is, they say, uh, by casting Joe as the villain in Tom Sawyer, Twain ensures the issues of race are not merely in the background, so to speak, but center stage. Reading the adventures of Tom Sawyer, we come to understand how racial stereotypes are perpetuated, espoused, and in the case of Joe, embraced. So talking about how Joe himself sort of claims some of the stereotypes about oh he does you're right people and like and and like uses them he does himself even as he like bristles at like being excluded or like being looked down upon i don't i don't know that that's what twain set out to do with this like it seems to me from everything else that i've read like i i have not found this take replicated anywhere else like said as as a thing that Twain set out to do with the depiction of Joe in this in this book. Um I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting thing to think about. It's an interesting way to teach the book if you're if you're teaching it now. I don't know that we can say that this is, you know, Twain was actually trying to teach us how racism is bad in its depiction it, it's unflinchingly racist depiction of its villain. Yeah. Who doesn't get, who only gets redeemed in so far as the way that he dies is sort of sad. Yeah. So let me say, you know? let me say one more thing about, uh, his like post death beat. And then I'm going to go back to the two murders that we witnessed. Cause I think, okay. That, and that can, we can kind of wrap. Yeah. Up yeah. Um, so I mentioned this this fun at the funeral. Well, not fun, but satisfactory. You can't spell funeral oh, without fun. That's what I always woof. say. Um, <laughs> here's a here's a whole section, and it gets a little. This is all Twain speaking. Um, 
This funeral stopped the further growth of one thing, the petition to the governor for Joe's pardon. The petition had been largely signed. Many tearful and eloquent meetings had been held, and a committee of sappy women been appointed to go in deep mourning and wail around the governor and implore him to be a merciful ass and trample his duty underfoot. Joe is believed to have killed five citizens of the village, but what of that? If he had been Satan himself, there would have been plenty of weaklings ready to scribble their names to a pardon petition and drip a tear on it from their permanently impaired and leaky waterworks. Twain is here to tell you that that guy sucked and he died, and how dare you think Yeah, that's some classic, like, oh, the bleeding heart liberals just wanted to abolish the death penalty. Well, yeah, yeah, nope. Let me me contrast that with each time, (laughs) each time that we see Joe uh, either commit a murder or plan to commit heinous acts of violence, he, he does kind of invoke his like a stereotype about his heritage and like um holding on to long standing uh grudges and offenses which is just an offensive thing <laughs> anyway but um both times he says like oh this person or this relative of this person uh like wronged me when i i needed help and i came to someone asking for some help and i was punished by being called a vagrant and like publicly punished or locked up under vagrancy law. You could, in a very, very charitable reading, I suppose, like expand that to think about how this person has been marginalized and is only being punished for it by the system and is now like driven to further crimes and and like violent ones, right? Like that is not, not there if you look mm-hmm. at the book outside the pages of the book a little bit um but i don't yeah i don't know twain does not dwell on that for sure his his sympathies in that kind of regard are are extended more to someone like huck who sure um you know after all of this wraps up they go back into the cave they get in like gold and silver and it's put away for both of the boys so that they have money forever. Uh, Huck is adopted by the widow, which we'll hang out more with in Huck Finn. Um, And Huck kind of rebels against it. He disappears one day and is just like Tom finds him being a vagrant again. He's like, I can't deal with civilization. I'm not Mm -hmm. me anymore. And Tom brings him back in with saying, well, I was going to start up a band of like really respectable robbers, but like they do need to be respectable. (laughs) So I do need you to like go live with that widow some more and then we can pal around again and Mm -hmm. and Huck accedes. So uh, yeah, that kind of the generosity and the understanding of like, People who don't have power should be afforded some perspective and should be given agency. Like the goal of this book is to be like these little white boys uh, who are from different worlds, but also misbehave the same way, deserve to be treated like people because they have rich inner lives. (laughs) Um, And I I do think that Twain is like set out to do that. Like there's something in the preface where he says like, uh, this is a book like about children that I think children will enjoy, but I hope that adults read it also to like remind them of what it was like to be a kid. And like that 
does seem important and certainly is is part of this book's legacy in all of the other characters that we've been talking about that you can trace back to Tom and Huck, generally that are kids or teenagers or whatever. But yeah, that same level of, hey, this person is like not um, a powerful person in society. We should afford them some respect is like not extended to someone like Joe or any or any other like native character. There's no balance there either. And the, yeah, the book's right. not doing that. So, But like I, I've been... Because we we've scratched the surface of of the scholarship on this book in our research, I know we have a lot of uh, teachers and and librarians and all kinds of of people who are who live more in the literary yeah. critical world who listen to the show. Like if if there is, I I don't know what Twain wrote like later in his life about any of these books. I'm not sure if if he did that. I I think the most likely version of events is that. Twain got better on these kinds of issues later in his life, but in this book, he was just leaning on racial stereotypes for the reasons that you lean on them, which is that it's like easy and would be understood by your audience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that he is necessarily being he I don't think he's deploying racism to make a commentary on racism so much as he's just like doing it because it's a shortcut. Yeah, and because it's what would have been, I don't know, done at the, at the at the time. But I, I would love to know if there is any evidence against that. That's that's not just like essays from later in his life proving that he had thought more deeply about these issues than this. Yeah, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, and and coming like as we get ready to talk about and read Huck Finn, like I would love to have some more context that. That people think really like either supports these books and and what we can and should do with them, or kind of makes the argument against them. Be interested to read about that. Yeah. Um, thanks for revisiting um, Tom Sawyer with me, Andrew. It was just cool to read about like two friends and think about friends that I've had, like you, and other friends that I've had. Like it's just nice to read about like some boys who are friends who have fun. Yeah, I mean, sure. I guess we've had fun. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. I guess you could. <laughs> oh, Andrew, while I do, while I do um, some of our wrap up stuff, please get ready to tell me what your pen name would be. Remember, okay. I'm mm-hmm. Brian Ricechurch. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, you can email us your thoughts on Sawyer, Finn, and pen names. Uh, at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at overduepod. Thanks to Lexi, Ashley, Soaps, Megan, Rebecca, Rachel Graham, Allegra, Rhonda, Sal, and many more for reaching out to us this past week. Uh, make sure you go back and listen to our Lost Cat bonus episode. We had a good time with that. That posted over the weekend. Uh, thanks to Nick <laughs> Lorandis who composed our theme good, song. Good time. We, yeah, it was a we good, a good ep. time. It was about. a good ep. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, Nick Lorand has composed our theme song. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, to Google, to our RSS feed. We are also on Stitcher and Spotify and pretty much anywhere else you get fine podcasts. If you go to that page and want to read along with the books that we are doing, you can click links on the bottom of the page. They go to bookshop.org and you buy the books and your local independent bookseller gets a cut. 
we get a cut and you get a cut in the form of the book that you paid for. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, we also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash overdue pod. Get bonus episodes early and get uh, episodes about our current long read project, Jagged Little Mill, which is about Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes as translated by Edith, Gro- Edith Grossman. Get those early as well. Andrew, next week, what are you reading? Next week, I am reading Gaudy Night by Dorothy L. Sayers. Andrew, what pen name would you use? I've decided that my pen name is Timothy T. Kettle, and I write cozy mysteries about old British ladies who solve crimes. I dig it. I think there might be. I think there might be an audience for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, everybody. Until... We talk to you next time. Tell us what your pen names are and also try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.